0: Right now, Congressman Colin Allred joins me back on the program. He represents Texas's 32nd congressional district, and uh, so glad to have him back. Uh, We had a great conversation uh, right before the election, and I want to check in with him again. Congressman Allred, welcome back to the program.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So we, of course, have been talking about everything going on in in Congress and uh, the Republicans now in control of the House and committee assignments and what we're seeing and Kevin McCarthy and all of the um, ballots to become speaker. Talk a little bit about uh, first your big takeaways from uh, McCarthy's battle for the speakership and what we're seeing play out now in who he's putting on committees.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, interesting to use the word control. I'm not sure he's in control of anything um, over there on their side. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a, a speaker in name only, uh, and I think that the process um, that he went through in order to get uh, some of the holdouts uh, to come over and vote for him is ultimately going to make uh, it almost impossible uh, for them to govern. We're, we're already seeing that uh, with the debt ceiling um, you know, issue coming up, uh, but it's going to be you know, issue after issue, uh, and, and what I said at the, at the time, and, and that I think the American people saw is that this is fundamentally um, uh, a core group there that's just really unserious about governing and and that uh, doesn't have a plan, doesn't have a cohesive uh, kind of uh, thought on what they want to do. And it's easy to vote no. It's easy to say you don't want to do anything when you're in the minority. But when you're in the majority and you actually have to do something, you have to put forward your ideas instead of what you're against. And we've seen they can't do that.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing now people like Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and Paul Gosar put on the Oversight Committee, Marjorie Taylor Greene being put on the Homeland Security Committee. It's been something that's been very concerning to a lot of people calling the program today.
1: Well, this is somebody who uh, has said that 9-11 was a hoax, uh, who has questioned whether or not uh, we had, you know, whether, you know, school shootings where children were murdered, uh, whether or not they were false flag operations. Um, you know, it's someone who clearly should not be on the Homeland Security Committee. The uh, Homeland Security Committee you know, receives important classified briefings on you know, threats to the nation, uh, and one of the issues they deal with, uh, you know, is domestic terrorism. Uh, this is somebody who has consistently, you know, taken the side of the domestic terrorists who attacked the Capitol on January sixth and said that they're, you know, political prisoners; that they should all be freed. Things like that. Uh, certainly shouldn't be, and, and, you know, and that's before we even get to you know, Mr. Gosar, uh, but this is also, in many ways, this is uh, some of the mainstream uh, of uh, where they are right now, you know, uh, and, you know, I think the American people are seeing that, uh, I think they're seeing just how extreme um, the Republican caucus has gotten. A lot of the folks who I worked with well in the la- in my first two terms in Congress, uh, the Liz Cheney's of the world, the Anthony Gonzalez's of the world are no longer there. Uh, And, you know, I think their caucus, um, you know, is one where Marjorie Taylor Green almost doesn't stand out anymore. And that's pretty remarkable.
0: You represent the 32nd uh, congressional district. Uh, You're from North Texas. uh, You represent Dallas area. And uh, you have a good relationship with fellow Texan Chip Roy, uh, who is one of those people who held out uh, and didn't uh, give his vote to Kevin McCarthy until he got what he wanted, or at least what, what, what we think he wanted. But one thing he was focused on uh, was the debt ceiling, and basically holding hostage, uh, raising the debt ceiling, a discussion obviously we're seeing right now play out, uh, unless it is tied to the budget and spending cuts. Talk a little bit about him, about what he and others are saying and doing, and this whole issue of the debt ceiling.
1: Well, listen. There, there are different qualifications. You have to kind of put in different categories. You know, some of the folks who are holdouts. There are some who, you know, uh, have you know ideological grounds of things they believe in, they want to do. And there are others who I think just you know wanted to be on TV or just wanted to stick it to Kevin McCarthy. You know, Chip is a friend of mine. He's somebody who um, you know, believes what he's saying. I think he's you know deeply wrong, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, you know, using something as serious as the debt ceiling which you know just to even contemplate us defaulting on our debt uh you know and kind of the economic collapse that would follow uh means that it's it's really not something that you can mess with but he's been very clear and uh you know some of the folks who uh, are of his way of thinking have been very clear that they are not going to uh you know, allow us to continue uh to you know keep the full faith and credit of the United States unless they get you know, deep cuts to you know, Medicare and Social Security. and they're going to hold the American people hostage over it. Uh, and you know we've seen this before, uh, you know when John Banner was speaker, when President Obama was in office, uh, when we had a you know, downgrade in our credit rating, we didn't default, but we went right up to the line. Uh, I think we'll see you know a similar crisis here. And all I can hope is that we'll have enough Republicans who will join us doing the responsible thing uh, to, uh, you know, get past this, and we can have discussions around spending, but not hostage taking. And and that's really what they're doing, you know, a negotiation around, you know, what the size and scope of our commitments should be. That's fully within the scope of, you know, what I think we're expected to do as members of Congress. But holding not only the American economy, but really the global economy hostage, unless you get your way, that's something totally different. And I think the White House is right to say that they're not going to engage in that kind of uh, negotiation.
0: Right. The White House has said no negotiation with it tied to the debt ceiling. Uh do you see that happening with uh, any Democrats, that there will be uh, those who will give? And we've e- we've even seen some Republicans in the Senate speaking out very strongly on this issue. Senator John Kennedy saying, no, I will not uh, participate in, in not raising the debt ceiling. Do you think there will be a negotiation or will Democrats hold firm?
1: Well, at some point, uh, you have to hope that, uh, you know, kind of cooler heads will prevail and that uh, uh, on, on the Republican side and that we'll have, you know, I think we need five, maybe six House Republicans to join us uh, in just doing the responsible thing, uh, which is you know to deal with this and, and then we can have our spending discussions in the context you know of our appropriations. But you know, I, I think that this is a different caucus than it was under under John Boehner. Uh, they're more radical than they were then. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is a weaker speaker. Uh, than John Boehner was, Uh, and I think that this is a crew that almost has to touch the oven and know that it's hot, Uh, and so I'm very concerned about it. Now, we have some, you know, we we may be able to pursue the the discharge petition route where we can get enough signatures to go around the speaker. We can get something on the floor, Uh, but that would require us to have some Republicans join us in doing that. Uh, and it's a slow process. It takes, uh, I think, at least a month. Um, and so, you know, we're already going to be entering using extraordinary measures of the Treasury Department to extend this out until maybe June, maybe July, from what I've been told. Um, it's But it's going to be here very soon. And, uh, you know, there's only one responsible thing to do. And I think President Biden, who obviously was vice president at the time when many of the negotiations took place during the Obama administration, I think he And a lot of those folks have learned that you can't negotiate around this. This is how we ended up with the fiscal cliff. This is how we ended up with sequestration last time. All these things that were really bad, not just for Democratic priorities, but also for Republican priorities, too. It it was really just bad policymaking.
0: And when we talk about spending and, and what a lot of these Republicans are focused on, It's also hard to understand what exactly they want. Um, People are worried about Social Security and Medicare being cut. They claim that they're going to protect that, but it's hard to see where they're going to cut. And of course, Democrats have been very responsible in passing legislation that pays for itself, like the Inflation Reduction Act. It's Republicans who have passed tax cuts that wound up uh, sending us into debt. Talk a little bit about that and, and what I think has been very responsible um, actions among the Democrats in passing legislation.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's it's just been a truism that you know over several you know last three Democratic presidents now, you know, we've reduced uh, our deficit and our debt. Uh, and we have been what you would consider to be fiscally responsible you know we have uh, particularly the inflation reduction act you know we had deficit reduction you know as part of that um and what we've seen under republican presidents particularly uh under uh, trump uh, is that they've exploded the debt with irresponsible tax cuts that with no corresponding cut in spending that you know put a 2 trillion dollar hole uh in our uh, you know, with the with the Trump tax cuts, that they had no corresponding cut in spending. In fact, they even increased. And so, you know, this idea that now they're going to get serious about you know being fiscally conservative, you know, it's it's it would be laughable if it wasn't so um, you know kind of inconsistent. And you know, I think we recognize that we need to be responsible with taxpayer dollars, and that's why we try to make smart investments that will then have a longer in the long term we will have a bigger payout than what we're putting in, you know, for example, the infrastructure bill. I just spent most of my morning uh, here talking about infrastructure in Dallas and in the Dallas area about the many projects that are going to be able to be funded because of this. The long term ec- economic impact of, of that investment for us is going to return much more than we put in uh, in terms of the cost uh, on the front end. And so we recognize that we understand that, you know. We need to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars, but we do it in a way where I think we make investments in people and in our country that allows us to have a brighter future. What I've seen from too often from some of my Republican colleagues is an unwillingness to make any investments and to, uh, but at the same time, to say what we have to do is continue to cut taxes more and more for the wealthiest, the, the well-connected, the biggest corporations out there, uh, and. You know, We've seen that that doesn't work. This idea that that's going to result in you know, trickle-down, it, it doesn't. Everybody knows that. We've seen that over for decades now. Um, and you know, I, I think we have to call it out. We have to start talking about who's actually being fiscally responsible here. Uh, and I think that's certainly been us. Uh, we've been through a pandemic. We've had some unexpected events, of course, that we've had to deal with. Uh, but we are economically coming out of this in a strong position because of some of the investments that we made. And we need to keep going and building on that and making smart decisions, not engaging in this kind of hostage taking that we're, that we're seeing and that I think we're going to see for as long as the Republicans are in the majority in the House.
0: I, I referred to the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, and um, one area that uh, you've been uh, focused on was the cap on insulin prices for diabetic Americans. That was one, in fact, that we saw a lot of Republicans opposed to. Uh, talk a little bit about how that has affected Texans specifically.
1: Well, it's incredibly important, and I'm sorry that we haven't been able to do it for all Americans. Uh, and it's because uh, some Republican senators voted that down in the Senate. Otherwise, we would have extended it everywhere. Because there's really no more heartbreaking stories that I hear, uh, and I hear them unfortunately far too often, than people come up to me telling me that they can't uh, afford, you know, their insulin, and that they're rationing their insulin uh, because, you know, we use the word rationing. And it sounds, I think, almost like it's something that you can choose to do and you can extend it. That's really not what it is. If you're not taking the insulin you need, then you're risking your life. Uh, you know, This is not something that is optional for folks. It's not something that they choose to have. It's something that they have to have uh, to, to survive. And the cost of insulin has just been out of control. And so for us, you know, beginning this year, because of the Inflation Reduction Act, we're now you know capping out-of-pocket costs for seniors at $35 a month. Uh, for their for a monthly supply uh, for their insulin, and that's just a huge deal. Uh, it's something that uh, is is going to, you know, really put money back in the pockets of, of folks who are on fixed incomes who uh, desperately need some relief uh, on you know their prescription drug costs. And we're going to keep working to extend that to every American. Uh, and and as I said, we would have were it not for you know, a few more uh, votes in the Senate on, the, on the, some of our Republican colleagues who weren't willing to do that. Uh, so it's, it's an indication of what I think what we are all about, which is that we want to make sure uh, that, you know, folks have a chance uh, to live their version of the American dream at whatever stage of life they're in. And that, you know, the circumstances of life, whether that's getting sick uh, or you know, something happening in your life uh, is something that you're able to, you know, to get through and, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't. We have to do something around these costs, and, and I'm, I'm glad that we've taken this step. We need to do it for all Americans, and I, I don't really understand this argument that uh, we shouldn't, you know, reduce the cost of insulin for every single American um, because uh, it, it's it's one of the most heartbreaking stories. It affects you know people of every political stripe all around the country, uh, and it's something that we can actually handle and do something about. And so, I'm glad we we're able to do it. For seniors, we need to do more.
0: One last question I wanted to ask you about: President Biden recently visited the border. Uh, after uh, Republicans criticized him for not visiting the border, then they criticized him for visiting the border and doing a photo op. Uh, they've also called for the impeachment of the Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas. Uh, tell me your thoughts on on what we're seeing, what the administration's doing, and the criticism.
1: Well, you know, my family's actually from Brownsville. My uh, father was a customs agent after uh, World War II, and my mom and, and uh, aunt grew up there, and I spent a lot of my childhood going there. And I can tell you, you know, the border is a, a real place. It's not a, a, a backdrop for a photo op or somewhere that you should just go so you can claim that that we're being invaded or to make uh, you know, irresponsible statements, uh, and that's what I've you know, unfortunately seen just, you know, far too much of this kind of like almost tourism of going to the border and pretending like uh, you're there seeing uh, all these terrible things happening. Listen, we need to have a serious conversation in this country around how we should have a comprehensive reform of our immigration system, including, yes, elements uh, of border security, which we have increased funding for the Border Patrol and and Biden administration is actually Increasing the size of the border patrol for the first time in years, uh, but also to meet the needs of our economy and how to make our immigration system work, uh, you know, in a way that I think is humane and consistent with our values. And so I'm glad that you know, President Biden, you know, was able to go there and and see and hear from you know, local leaders about what's going on, because it's also true that. Venezuela is in collapse, that Haiti is in collapse, that Nicaragua, Honduras, and El Salvador are all, uh, you know, extremely chaotic, and that's, these are global trends that are driving enormous, um, you know, flows of people uh, out of those countries, uh, and it's affecting the entire region, and of course, some of it, you know, is going to end up, um, you know, at our border, and so we need to have a way to process that, we need to put resources there, and I I think it's right for the administration uh, to be surging, uh, some resources there but they're limited in terms of what they can do uh, under their authorities what they really need is some action from congress on some comprehensive investments and reforms that will allow them to you know process asylum seekers more efficiently uh to really you know put in place the person power uh, and the policies needed to do this i think consistent with who we are as a country and so i i think that's that's what i hope the president took away from this uh, i would like to see us you know find some bipartisan agreement around how we can address our immigration system. We've had a framework before, twice, in fact, uh, you know, when President Bush was in office working with Ted Kennedy, you know, they had a framework that then failed in the Republican controlled house. Uh, we also had when President Biden or Obama was in office, kind of the gang of eight a framework that failed. We know what it looks like, what that framework looks like. Uh, and we need to you know pick that back up and you know maybe this bipartisan group of Senators that came down recently maybe they'll be able to make some progress on their side. unfortunately, uh, I don't think we'll see much willingness to do uh, that on the House side um, with our, the Republican majority because in some ways I think it's it's too salient of a political issue for them for them to actually solve it
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and and that would be you know kind of uh, taking away one of their main, talking mm-hmm. points if they addressed it so mm-hmm. i'm glad he came um and we need to act in, in the congress we haven't had a major reform passed through congress on the immigration system since president reagan was in office i mean it's time to do something oh, yeah. about this
0: well i always appreciate having you on the program congressman thanks so much great conversation yeah thank you for having me uh, congressman colin allred follow him on twitter at rep colin allred represents texas's 32nd congressional district in the dallas area we're back in a few minutes michelangelo signorelli on sirius xm